ഓമ ജ്ഞാന ചിരന്ധസ്യാനഞ്ജന ശ്രദ്ധാകയ ചക്ഷുരുമിതംഗീന തസ്മൈ ശ്രീഗുരുവേ നമഃ two most merciful incarnations of two lords nitai and gorachandra among all incarnations they are the best because their path is simply joyful therefore my dear brother with full faith uh worship nityananda and chaitanya mahaprabhu giving up sense gratification uh, and becoming absorbed in that mellow and chant the holy names of lord hari Just see, my dear brother, within all the three worlds, there is not such uh, givers. There is not such a giver of mercy, bestower of mercy. Even the uh, birds and beasts cry, and stone melts to hear of their qualities. Lord uh, Shankar, the author, says that. Uh, being absorbed in material life uh, and being stuck in this position i have, I have no desire for the lotus feet i am simply uh uh eating simply suffering the results of my own simple activities all right i shall die she she didn't die on sunday So we first have questions and answers now. No further questions. I know that uh, several of you wanted to meet me. There was some proposal for Brahmacharya's meeting this morning, but uh, now I'm traveling around. Sometimes you get, and sometimes I get someone exhausted and needs some time to recuperate and some time for reading and writing also. Whatever questions you want to, you want to ask at that time, you may ask at this time. Let the Prabhupada move forward a little bit. You know, Shkapur is Prabhupada. Om Adhyanati Miranda Syadhyananda Shalaka Chakshuri Nilitamina Tasmai Shrikuravinaha A spiritual master can be a householder. But if a spiritual master is a sannyasi and he has disciples and then uh, he marries, can he still have these disciples? and he still go on being a spiritual master um well um men from two ashrams are allowed to marry brahmacharis can marry and the hastas can marry in other words a man who's already married can again marry not that divorce is allowed in the culture but polygamy is so um Spiritual master who is a brahmachari or a grihastha who marries uh, may go on still being a spiritual master. Of course, he should marry according to the principles of religion. If in marrying or doing anything else he goes against the principles of religion, that would uh, seriously curtail his credibility as a guru. Maybe he can come to sit here for something long. When spiritual master and a disciple, potential disciple meet each other, how do they act? How can they recognize each other? A spiritual master usually comes for two, three days. So how can a disciple recognize that this is my spiritual master? And how can spiritual master recognize that yes, this is my potential disciple? How shall they recognize each other? Well, often people seem to think that there should be some very 
uh, mystical exchange between gurus and disciples. And although it may be, the uh, Shastric approach to the subject is more down-to-earth. We don't find in Shastra any such statements that when you see a person with rays of light emanating from his body, then you should know that he's your guru, for instance. Uh, Shastra states that one should recognize a guru principally by two symptoms. There are many symptoms given, but two are given as principal. Shabde Pareja Vishnatam Brahmanya Pashamashrayam. He should be uh, well learned in the Vedic literatures and should personally be fixed in the knowledge given therein. So these are two basic symptoms, and there are many others given. But again, it's based on uh, tangible, easily definable symptoms, not uh, some kind of esoteric or imaginary symptoms. Similarly, the symptoms of a disciple are given. Apparently, if, if, uh, if the disciples in the Christian conscious room had to come up with standard, even for disciples in Ayurveda, there wouldn't be any disciples. There wouldn't be any disciples in any of those patients. So the basic principle of the disciple should be that he's uh, serious to understand the personal truth. Uh, and that he's a uh, submissive student. Now, uh, in many cases, the, the relationship may develop more even after initiation, more even than before. So, once the, uh, once the basic uh, commitment on the, on the part of disciple and guru is there, then the relationship develops more. In this sense, it can be compared to those of traditional Indian marriages in which the bride and groom don't know each other or never seen each other even before marriage. But because the commitment to each other is there on the basis of that the relationship develops. In my case, as I described in my book, My Memories of Srila Prabhupada, which is uh, supposed to be developed soon into Russia, my, my relationship with Prabhupada uh, developed much more after initiation, even uh, after Prabhupada's disappearance. And the disciple's duty is to hear and to serve. In Islam, both gurus and disciples are servants of Srila Prabhupada. And a guru instructs his disciples or expects his disciples to serve the mission of Srila Prabhupada. And the guidelines on how to do that are given by Srila Prabhupada. When we say serve Srila Prabhupada's mission, that means, of course, serve Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's mission. But particularly as it has been given to us by Srila Prabhupada. So a guru in Islam means who is a... Uh, a faithful, experienced, and matured servant of Shri And by his personal example, he teaches his disciples to, to do so also. And in doing so, he cooperates with and expects the cooperation of other leading devotees in this form, including other gurus, other sannyasis, temple presidents, and so on. I see that uh, many devotees, they, they, like they're hankering or they're expecting for a uh, a relationship with the guru as is described in uh, in traditional gurus, in which the disciple person is with the guru and is trained by him. But that isn't the only uh, traditional guru-disciple format. Uh, For instance, um, many great Vaishnava preachers in the past and even at present, uh, even outside of this one or outside of the Goryan Vaishnava Sampradaya, 
uh, sannyasis who travel from place to place. Uh, in many cases, they might just meet their disciples for a few days in their lives. You see that Madhavendra Puri, he met Advaita Acharya once and initiated him, and there's no record of them meeting him afterwards. So, certainly in this style, the disciples may not see their gurus very much. Uh, in that case, it's up to the disciple to be, to be uh, intelligent enough to extract the essence out of the meetings with the gurus. Prabhupada himself said that I, I never, I, I met with my Guru Maharaj no more than a dozen times. But uh, how much Prabhupada understood his Guru? Even more than uh, disciples who had intimate personal association for many years. Of course, with the aid of modern technology, we have the means to hear from our Gurus by tape recordings. So we can take advantage of that also. And there are Many gurus in this room, so we can listen to the lectures, and we should listen to Prabhupada's lectures, and principally we should read Prabhupada's books. There are many books being published in this nowadays, and also writing books, but we should understand that the uh, main books, the most important books, are those which Prabhupada has written. On this subject of accepting guru, I, I've written uh, a summary of the <coughs> basic points in the two first steps book. One more question. Yeah. Okay. No one else has yeah. questions. You mentioned in the morning class that practically there are no real uh, followers of Shankaracharya in his Mayavada philosophy. They're mostly they are pseudo impersonalists. And you also mentioned that we can find uh, this. Uh, Mayavada philosophy or impersonal spirit among among devotees. Mm -hmm. Uh, Does it mean that we remain Mayavadis impersonalists until the very moment that we surrender, fully surrender to Krishna, as it is described in Bhagavad Gita, 18th chapter, 66, text 66, Krishna says that. Mm. We should surrender. We should leave all other religions and surrender uh, to Him alone. Well, I think this is another kind of uh, misconception. The, the, the moment of enlightenment, which the moment of enlightenment misconception. Just like we, you know, just now we had the one folklore kind of misconception, which comes from Mayavadis and storytellers of the of the uh, meet the guru misconception. What happens when you meet your guru? You see different colors coming out of his head and then you fall down on the ground and faint. This is the stuff of folklore and mayavadis. And this, uh, this moment of enlightenment is also similar stuff of mayavadis. The two of these are combined in the uh, bogus story of two of the most bogus people that ever existed on earth. How the rascal, so-called Ramakrishna, touched his rascal, so-called disciple Vivekananda, who, who then felt a, a charge of electric current flowing through his body. And when the rascal Vivekananda revived and again came to his senses, he saw his so-called rascal guru crying. And he asked him, why are you crying? He asked him, why are you He said, because I gave all my knowledge to you. He asked him, why are you crying? Knowledge is given by speaking, not by electric shocks.
And if you give knowledge, you don't lose it. So similarly, there's this moment of enlightenment, myths, that you're chanting Hare Krishna, you're gradually becoming purified, and you become 99% pure, then 95.99.5%, then 99.99%, then all of a sudden, a flash of light overcomes you, and you see Krishna dancing in Vrindavan. Well, it doesn't really work. His devotee is chanting, and uh, Krishna gradually reveals himself in various ways. Krishna may even uh, show himself to a devotee who is not fully pure, as he did with the case of, in the case of Daksha. Or he may not show himself to devotees who are fully pure. Krishna is independent. Now, regarding impersonal tendencies, yes, we all have impersonal tendencies. And yes, impersonal traits are uh, features of impurity. So, uh, philosophically, we should understand that this impersonalism is completely bogus and totally rejected. And naturally, in our, in our dealings and Vaishnava behavior, then we should, uh, we should also act in a manner that is not impersonal in our behavior with the devotees and most importantly in our behavior with the deities. And with all living beings, actually, with non-devotees, with animals. One thing I'm saying is very common for devotees to dance with their backs to the deities, which means we're not considering that here is God, he's a person, and we should show ourselves to him, not our backs to him. We should remember that when we're dancing, it's not actually meant for our pleasure, but it's meant for the pleasure of the deities. Similarly, uh, Prabhupada always requested that there be an aisle between the devotees so the Prabhupada can see the deities. So there are many such rules and regulations, and following them helps us to remember that we're serving Krishna, who's the Supreme Person. We should keep the standards of deity worship very high because we should know we're serving God. Sometimes I hear it said, well, it's only going to It doesn't matter, throw them one or two hot cooked potatoes and let them be content with that. But, uh, Although it's true that Gonitan don't accept offenses, that doesn't mean that we should not try to avoid offenses. We should serve them to our best capacity. And that will be pleasing to Gonitan. And if we don't do so, then of course that's a manifestation of impersonalism. So why don't you all try to serve Gonitan to the best capacity? I was just asking Shuddha Satvatabhu how it is that uh, uninitiated devotees are worshipping deities. Now, I'm not saying that the Anishadvas or Western deities are consciously making offenses or any such thing. But the actual standard set by Prabhupada is that only uh, Brahman should worship deities. Somehow or other, that uh, it's come to be accepted that even non Brahmins can worship the deities, although it definitely wasn't Prabhupada's standard or the standard he wanted to follow. But at least those who are initiated in. Uh, why don't you all come together and see how to serve the deities? Shuddha Sattvapuru told me there are several brahmacharis who are here on a temporary basis distributing books, which is very nice to distribute Brahmins books. But uh, you could also do a little deity worship, offer an RT, a few RTs, maybe a few offerings like that. It's actually good that uh, book distributors do some deity worship, it helps to round out and make their spiritual life whole and balanced. I know that uh, when I was a young devotee in, in England, back in the mid-70s, we used to have a traveling sanctuary for six days a week, and we used to come back, and it was like a 
competition who would have the opportunity to do the artis while we back for one day. And then sometimes the artists were traveling, they would stay in the temple in central London to do book distribution there. So they would take the opportunity to, as well as doing book distribution, to also do some deity motion. So why don't you do that? Почему бы вам это не uh, RTs, opening and closing duties, putting into rest, everything should be done according to a fixed schedule. Because actually when we say Haram, what does that mean? It means it's the house of the Lord. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that it's a place where people live and then somewhere in, somewhere in the, in the building there are deities. It means that everything in the building is only for the pleasure of the deities. And the community of devotees who are living around the temple are doing so for the sake of coming together and serving the deities. Krishna is so kind to come in the form of the deity so that we can make him the center of our lives. So Krishna Karjus means to serve Krishna. Krishna comes in the form of the deity so we can serve him. So please try to do that to the best of your ability. I mean, it's up to you. You're, you're saying it, I'm not saying it. But I request the, uh, the initiated devotees who are staying here, whether you're staying here for a temporary basis or a permanent basis, to come together and meet and work out a schedule of how you can uh, take on the various services and serve on a time the best possible manner. Uninitiated devotees, they can do services like washing the plate, making the knee wigs, preparing the food offering and so on. And initiated managers, they can also perform RTs, make offerings and so on. It's not traditional in India that in public temples, managers can do so, but Prabhupada allowed it. So when you stay to church, so it can be done here. So do you think you could do that? You want to do that? No, we can organize, we can make yeah. a schedule. Yeah. That will enrich your own spiritual ones. Make the other focus. That will, that will give our spiritualized focus if, if we have personal service to do some deities. We're talking about going back home, back to Godhead and serving Krishna, but you can do it right here. Who are initiated devotees here? Could you please raise your hand? So, of course, some of you live a long distance away, isn't it? Who's living a long distance away? I know Krishna and the Dainas. So it may be more difficult for you to help in this way. But those who are living close by, they could do some services. Those who are not initiated, well, become initiated. Come forward in Krishna consciousness. There was a question you were going to ask this morning. The importance of Tilaka in spiritual life. According to Tilak, well, there, like so many other things, we wear it because Krishna likes us to. It identifies us as servants of Krishna. It's the mark that we are the slaves of Krishna. This Tilak actually, there should be joined. There's no, shouldn't be any space here. Space. No Tilak? No Tilak? 
Why don't you go and put Tilak and then I'll answer, answer your question after. At least, at least initiated devotees should wear Tilak, at least in the temple room. <laughs> the lower part of Tilak should be two thirds yeah, of the nose or one third. Three parts. <laughs> <laughs> According to according to Hari Bhakti Vilas. Because you don't have to get out of ruler. <coughs> more or less like that. Practically I see Prabhupada used to wear a little shorter than that. Shorter? No. A little shorter. Which proves the point then. It's an indication. Three parts is an indication. Yes. It's an indication, it means that it doesn't have to be exactly, but you know, oh, like that, more or less. Mm. Yeah, alright. <laughs> Where's the tea? Krishna says that those who consider themselves to be my devotees actually are not my devotees. But those who are devotees of my devotees, they are actually my devotees. How to develop how to develop devotion to the lotus feet of the spiritual master. Well, it doesn't mean that we should neglect to serve Krishna. We shouldn't think, well, I don't want to serve Krishna. What's the use? Because the devotees, they will instruct you to worship Krishna. There was uh, one of Prabhupada's disciples who, he was like, he was always uh, focusing on Prabhupada only, but he, Prabhupada noticed that he didn't, you know, he, he didn't speak anything about Krishna. Prabhupada didn't like that, because although the guru uh, was supposed to satisfy the guru, but uh, the guru wants to see how you're developing your love for Krishna, that will satisfy him. So the two things go inside themselves, service to the guru and service to Krishna. The uh, three basic principles of approaching a spiritual master are spoken by Lord Krishna and Bhagavad Gita. The first principle is that one should offer obeisances. Uh, offering obeisances means with various parts of the body and most importantly with the mind. In other words, in a surrendered and humble mood. Uh, one should ask uh, relevant questions, uh, questions relevant to the subject matter of self-realization. And one should serve the spiritual master. Have you heard these three things before? <laughs> well, that's the answer. You said that the disciple should serve spiritual master and to ask him relevant questions, but spiritual master comes so rarely and the disciple uh, has rare opportunity to see his spiritual master to serve him. Well, take the opportunity when you can. It makes it all the more valuable, doesn't it? Here in uh, Russia, the festivals, they're, they're very important for maintaining the spiritual life of the devotees. Two, two big festivals at Divna Mosque every year. And now the Grushinsky Festival near Samara is also becoming a, a every year become a big, bigger and bigger event for devotees. So you can take advantage of the association of the spiritual masters there. And you can be with them always by serving their mission. I mean, you may be feeling that you don't see your spiritual master much, but you have not, not more opportunity to physically see your spiritual master than I do. Prabhupada's disciples are going on for 24 years now without uh, what we would call personal association. So we serve by serving the mission, again, serving the mission of this mission. And seva, service is always 
unlimited opportunity. Prabhupada said, I only ever ask my Guru one question, how can I serve you? Mm-hmm. So try to serve and wear tilak. Visible tilak is better than invisible. <laughs> I mean, we all have imperfect senses. I may not be able to see it, but it doesn't appear. Mm-hmm. Why don't you put a visible tilak? That will be more pleasing to go on your hands. Is there a shortage of tilak there? You don't get enough? Oh, you have good supply? <laughs> Not always. <laughs> well, there are alternatives if you <laughs> Again, harking back to my old days, the old days in London. In those days, uh, the supply of devotional paraphernalia to the West wasn't an established business. And even to get even some picture from India was something very rare and wonderful in the West. So often we didn't have Kopichanda. We used to use fuller's earth, it's a kind of clay. At least we use something there is mm-hmm. something was there, you see. And my question, sounds good. See you in two minutes, looking new and fresh and beautiful. Yes, sir. Go for the first time in Astrakhan. You were for the first time in Astrakhan and you were for the first time in Baltimore. What can you say about the meetings with devotees? Uh, whether your expectations were justified? Well, I didn't really have expectations because I didn't know what to expect. <laughs> you can you can look two ways. Mm-hmm. Two ways of looking at any situation. For instance, if someone gives a hundred dollars donation, you can say, well, that's a lot. Or you can also say, what about giving the other nine hundred in your pocket? So, uh, you can see on one side, uh, everything is very good, very nice to what is the chanting, Hare Krishna, the studying Prophet's books, these are all very wonderful, auspicious times. Uh, but then we can also see there's so much more to do. Give me a question. Who can be considered senior devotees uh, in ISKCON, and what should be the relationships between senior equal and senior and junior devotees? Because previously, uh, I was told that if there is one year difference between initiation, then the senior devotees, then three years difference, and now we say five year difference, and it is considered a senior devotee. So that is what is the position? Well, again, it's all relative. In a family, the uh, middle brother is senior to the junior, but he is junior to his elder brother, the eldest brother. A devotee of two years may be considered senior to one of one year, but there may not be that much difference between a devotee of 28 years and one of 27 years, in terms of seniority. You mean 27, 28 years in, in movement? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, many of the questions you've asked today, they're all covered in my upcoming book on Vaishnav culture, etiquette and behavior, which uh, I'm very much hoping when I get back to India soon I'll be able to spend some time finishing it off. These are important matters on which there is often there's no clear guidance or the, the points are scattered in various books here and there. So uh, juniors should respect seniors. And seniors should also respect juniors, not that disrespectful. Juniors serve seniors, and seniors uh, reciprocally help and guide juniors. 
Who's the general? Fine. Of course, seniority can't always be judged simply on the number of years in the room. You know, someone may have been initiated more years than another, but if he's not fallen very seriously or properly, it's not that he should try to lord it over someone who's more junior, but who's fallen more seriously. Those who are more senior, they should take the lead in serving the deities. Why do devotees in due course of time lose their, lose their faith? Their faith decreases. What is the reason for that? That faith is the basic criteria for spiritual problems. Well, it's not that all devotees lose their faith. You're writing as if it's like a, as if it's like a fixed principle. It's not that everyone loses their faith. Desire to enjoy it. All right. Well, it's only 